This episode of Good Chat is brought to you by Simmons Homes. Every day across Australia, it's tools up for Team Simmons because their people stand by their promise to start building your new home on time and on budget. So if you're ready to join the hundreds of Australians they're welcoming home each month, talk to Simmons, the great Australian builder. Now on with the show. Welcome to Good Chat, brought to you by Sportsman Mobile and Footy Live. It's time to talk all things football with your host, Jimmy Sava. Hello and welcome back to Good Chat, where we sit down with a special sporting star each week to discuss their story, interests, on-field feats, and everything you, the fans, want to know. And it's all thanks to Simmons, Sportsmate, and the Footy Live app, of course. Download that Footy Live app now. It's finals time. Just a week and a bit to go until the big dance, and there is nowhere better to get all the news, scores, stats, highlights, podcasts. So make sure you download it. And the new Sportsmate Podcast Network is gaining more momentum than the Melbourne bandwagon at the moment. Great things are happening, especially on today's pod. Got a big guest to chat to this week. It's Collingwood cult hero. Gavin Krasiska. Now, Gavin played over 240 games with the Pies. He helped break that 32-year premiership drought in 1990, and he got coaching gigs as an assistant post his career uh, due to his footy smarts, and it all seemed great for him on the outside. But uh, what nobody knew was that he was suffering addiction for 28 years of his life. Uh, Gav used illicit drugs throughout his entire AFL career. Uh, He had severe gambling and alcohol problems as well, and he ended up losing pretty much everything he had, including his family. And uh, after he hit rock bottom, though, he went into rehab. He, he turned his life around completely, and he's currently running his own rehab clinic called Sober Living Rehab. And he's gone on to share his story to help others uh, who are going through similar things and inspiring them each day. I love that, and I, uh, I loved having a chat with Gavin this week. He does not shy away from the tough questions, Gav. He's very open and honest. He tells me things that are truly really incredible uh it's hard to believe what was going on behind the scenes there without anybody knowing including his family uh gavin krasiska provides us with this week's good chat it's all thanks to simmons hashtag good chat to get involved let us know what you think really hope you enjoy this one krasiska summed it up beautifully goes for goal gavin krasiska from 50 meters a lovely kick by krasiska is collingwood's first goal a clash of bodies the ball breaks free it's all collingwood Francisco hits towards goal. Okay, today's guest is a cult figure of the Collingwood Football Club, a man who left everything out on the field in every one of his 246 games. He was tough, unrelenting and courageous, which earned him a placing in the Copeland Trophy count three times and three record awards given to the player with the most tackles and one percenters. He was a premiership hero in 1990 and his impressive footy brain landed him coaching roles at North Melbourne, Hawthorne, North Ballarat and Carlton. All while this footy legend appeared to have it all, he was battling addiction and mental health issues that eventually resulted in him hitting rock bottom. He's since recovered, opened up his own rehab clinic and is continuing to inspire others to turn their lives around and beat life-threatening issues. It is my great pleasure to welcome the one and only Mr. Gavin Krasiska to the Good Chat Podcast. How are you, Gavin? I'm good, mate. How are you? I'm really good, mate. I'm excited to chat to you. Just wanted to say I'm keeping count. So I think it's 3,786 days of being sober. So congrats, Gav. Have you got that tattoo yet of, of May the 5th, 2011? No, I haven't. It's on my list. I've got a couple of full sock gigs I want to get done. Yeah. One regarding um, for myself, I guess, and then the other for my family. But um, yeah, I keep putting it off. I was hoping to get that done for my 50th birthday, but oh, I haven't yeah. got there. 
Oh, that's all right. Hey, um, you said you're based in Murrumbeen and now you're doing the, the rehab clinic. I wanted to ask though, because obviously you haven't touched a drink or anything since, what do you do personally to like unwind or escape? Like what, what gets you through, I guess, lockdown these days? Oh, look, from my perspective, it's, um, I, I guess if it was early days, it's a little bit different. You need to be yeah. really, um, you need to fill your day up with uh, recovery activities. But nowadays, uh, working in the rehab and and then just life ticking along. I'm pretty much okay in terms of um, having a contained brain and head. Um, but the the one thing I do really enjoy, I guess, for my mental health and just gives me um, some peace and freedom is when I'm able to run. Actually, oh yeah, some of my former teammates would probably scoff at that because I uh, they'd probably question my running when I was training. <laughs> but um, yeah, I really get a lot out of that. Um, space and that time on my own. Yep. Um, so when I get um, when I can get really fit, it can uh, really benefit me. And as I said, it's not just physically, but certainly mentally and emotionally. Mm-hmm. But how how uh, how far are you running these days? What's a good distance for you? Um, well, when I'm up and about, I'm probably doing twelve to fifteen, three or four days a week. Oh, nice. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm not. Um, just going for a run around the block. I'm yeah. sort of getting out there. So, but I've just got to be mindful of my body and, yep. and injuries and all sort of stuff. So once I'm up and running, I'm okay. So I'm happy. Uh, I'm not injured at the moment. Yeah, brilliant. I wanted to go back. I think it is to 1975 around there in Brisbane. You play your first game of footy at age seven, I think, for the Roosters, Maruka. Um, you said you were like a uncomfortable, shy type of kid, disconnected. Uh, and the first time you felt, I guess, good about yourself was the first time you picked up a footy. Is that is that right? Yeah. Look, that's all in retrospect and in hindsight. Like during my childhood, I didn't realise what yeah. was going on for me, but. Um, yeah, I certainly felt uh, very disconnected from everyone else, and and just didn't feel right. And I and I put that down to the genetics of addiction. You know, my dad was an alcoholic, mm-hmm. and a long uh, line of alcoholics and addicts in our family. So, uh, what I've learned over the last ten years is uh, this disease can certainly get handed down to you. And as they describe it, is exactly how I felt when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, like my running now. Um, gives me that sort of peace and, and, and some space. Footy back then when I was a kid, it just sort of um, let me be a little bit freer than, than normal. And, and I guess the burden of my head, um, it basically relaxed that to a degree, but that was only for a certain period of time. So mm. I was a pretty uncomfortable, uh, disconnected kid, that's for sure. Yeah, what drew you to footy then? How did you become involved with the club? Look, with but coming from Queensland, we were playing rugby league at school. It was our yeah. school footy, so that was the the first sport I played. And then I just remember a, uh, a little note coming around the school from the Maruka Roosters that were, who was next door to our school, mm. um, and just inviting everyone to come down for the sign-on day and so forth. And um, yeah, I was into anything and everything uh, as a youngster. So any sort of sport I was yeah. jumping into. So I asked my mum, and she took me down. And it started from then. Mm-hmm. You, you said, yeah, you asked your mum then. So dad really wasn't around much, was he? Was was mum into footy and she was the one taking you to, to all the games and that sort of stuff? Yeah, she was certainly the, the main support person. Yeah, dad was, um, well, unbeknownst to him probably as well, uh, was working a lot. And when he wasn't working, he was at the pub. He was just one yeah. of those disconnected fathers who um, who was alcoholic and, and probably didn't know it either. Um, but he's, he's drinking and and pub scene was uh, more important for him at that stage than his family was. So, yeah, it was mum that was doing the running around and, and she was um, very socially 
connected with my footy career basically. Mm. When when you had your first drink, Gav, it wasn't it wasn't at home, was it? Was it the at your mate's house? I think it was a bottle of like Bundy rum or something. When when you had yeah, you was about at a, 15 was years at a party. Yeah, it was yeah. Um, from what I can recall. Uh, we were doing the right thing. We didn't drink during the party, and because yep. we were staying over that night, we thought we'd drink uh, once everyone left. And yeah, it wasn't a normal first drink experience. It was um, def- definitely excessive, and um, drinking Bundy rum out of the bottle mm. um, and sculling it was uh, didn't work that great for me. And uh, I was very sick and unwell. And uh, and from that day onwards, I was never able to drink any dark spirits, if you can believe that. Um, so that was a blessing in disguise, really. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was it was a pretty hectic night, and, um, and my first experience of alcohol was a you know a blackout, and it was alcoholic drinking even as a sixteen year old. Yeah, you said also the um, the drug use started around. I mean, when you were a teenager as well, was it around that time as well, fifteen, sixteen, that that early? Yeah, it was a little bit afterwards. I it was. Around the time I signed with Collingwood and and, Mm. um, mum and dad had had separated and um, mum was moving in or moving out with my sister and uh, and I was coming down to Collingwood the following year so I thought it was a good time to get out and live with some mates and experience that lifestyle and uh, and that's what we did and, you know, the dope happened, uh, you know, pretty quickly. There was mates at the footy club that were smoking dope and for me, um, it was something that I really enjoyed at that stage. And again, that was the next component of, of basically changing my reality and, and allowing me to feel a bit comfortable, even though it was a, an illicit substance. And, um, you know, most of the guys would have a bit of a, a drink and a smoke on the weekends. And that was it. Whereas for me, it, um, it, it began a, a daily habit straight away for me. So again, that's that uh, genetic disposition of addiction and, um, you know, not being able to stop. We'll be back after a quick break. You move over to Melbourne, I think it was 1986, when you, you did start with the Pies and the under-19s, but mum came along too. Yeah. Um, it took charge of that Coventry house. Can you explain what the Coventry house is? Yeah, look, we moved down at the end of 85 and we were here for a couple of months and then the footy club asked mum if she'd look after, um, I think it was five of us all up, yeah. just young guys from the country or interstate um, that were on the Collingwoods list. So. Uh, there was five of us living in this house that was named after uh, Collingwood Great, uh, the Coventrys, mm-hmm. um, and she did the cooking and cleaning and so forth. So it was a it was a pretty uh, fun and interesting experience with the uh, with all the boys from the under nineteens that were playing, and Mick McGuan was one of them yeah. who went on to play regular senior footy. And um, yeah, it was a we thoroughly enjoyed our time there. That's for sure. Mum mum was a really cool mum as well. So. Yeah. While she um, didn't like some of the antics and things that we got up to, she she was quite supportive and 
and tried to lead us in the right way. So yeah. uh, that was a lot of fun uh, back then. Yeah, it sounded like it was a real strong connection um, with your mum. So obviously when she passed away, that would have been extremely hard for you. Is that when the kind of drug use ramped up? Was that off the back of that? Look, it was. It probably was because I, um, while I was still, I guess the first year when I came down, I didn't really have access to marijuana, so mm. it, it probably stopped for a period of time. And then once Mum passed away, um, I did feel quite deserted and abandoned in a strange way, and mm-hmm. and I needed something. I couldn't deal with this sort of stuff, the emotional pain that you um, that you feel when someone passes away. I wasn't able to cope with that, so. Um, I didn't. So I drank and I and I started smoking dope, and uh, and that basically changed that reality that I was always wanting to get away from, and and it gave me, um, I guess it was a a false sense of of being able to cope and deal with things. Uh, but in the end, all that does is push down your feelings and emotions instead of being able to absorb it and process it and deal with it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but that was a really sad time. You know, mum only saw me play seven games of footy yeah. um, and, you know, considering the workload and, and what she did for, to help my career, um, it was a very sad time. Yeah. Did, did somebody at the club say to you at that time of, you know, um, dedicate the rest of your career uh, to your mother? And does, is that a lot of pressure for, for a young kid to be told that? Well, it was more the, the fact that that was the support I received yeah. back then, and and I and I've said this regularly. I don't knock the club for anything or yeah. anything they did around that time. It was just what happens. Like we, you're around a footy club, and uh, and especially men, um, mm. it's just basically um, ship up and shape out and get get to it, and um, you know stop mucking around and move on, basically. So uh, and me with my vulnerable brain, uh, that just certainly didn't help me, and. Uh, and that was said to me, yeah, devote your footy career to your mum and let's move on and, and shuffle on. You know, mum passed away on the Thursday, I think it was, and um, the boys from Coventry House flew to Queensland uh, for her funeral the following Friday and we come back Friday night and not played in the practice match on the Saturday. So that was yeah. how quickly it sort of moved. Yeah. Um, so it wasn't really, there was no time for mourning basically. So mm-hmm. uh, from, a, from a male point of view, that was the, uh, I guess the best feedback you could receive is just get on with it and move on, even though it was detrimental to me probably. Yeah, for sure. What Was it soon after when you had you went to that cricket match and you you used speed for the first time and that was kind of um, where it escalated? Was that around that that time as well? No, it was probably 12, 12 months later. Wasn't yeah. my, my drug use through um, my footy career was basically contained at, at, with cannabis and that was the one yeah. uh, illicit substance I knew I could manage okay with um but amphetamines were certainly uh that was certainly something that um allowed me to to probably be the person that i thought i wanted to be um because mm. i was a shy withdrawn type of kid whereas amphetamines obviously kicks you up and and allows you to communicate and be someone different uh so i really enjoyed that experience but it wasn't until i finished playing footy when that um when amphetamines really became a part of my drug repertoire basically but during footy it was uh, the cannabis that was the main thing. Okay. Yeah. During footy, how did you, you know, kind of the drugs and the drinking, how did you perform at such a high level? Because even like 89, you're third in the best and fairest, then you you finish second in the best and fairest to Nathan Buckley later on. Um, you know, you, you're part of that 1990 premiership side. Like how did you perform so well, but still have that lifestyle off, off the field? Look, I, I, to be honest, I don't really know. The, the, the drinking was, wasn't that much different than, 80% of 
VFL footballers back then. Okay. It was a, it was still that semi-professional where you, uh, you obviously trained hard and played hard, mm. um, and then you, you relaxed and you had a good time as well. Um, so it was probably on a level par with many. And as I said, with the dope, it was a, it was a, an evening thing. It was you know like your mum or dad coming home and having a glass of wine or a couple of stubbies at night time to relax. That's what I uh, did with with dope. Mm-hmm. Uh, and not saying that it helped me at all. Uh, I would have been quite interested to see how my fitness and my footy career may have been mm-hmm. different if I uh, had have had a Gavin Brown lifestyle. Uh, yeah. It never could have happened, but um, it wasn't to be for me. And and I uh, did what I basically did to manage and to survive. Really, mm-hmm. that 1990 premiership was obviously the end of the 32-year uh, premiership drought for the Pies. Can you explain to me how it felt to be part of that? And firstly, is it true that you thought maybe you were going to miss out? Did you get a corky or something? Um, You've done your research, James, I'll tell you. <laughs> um, yeah, look, because of the drawn file against West Coast, it pushed everything back a little bit and we had yeah. a we had a weekend off um, before the grand final. Yeah. And uh, Lee Matthews took us down to uh, Mornington Peninsula with wives and girlfriends and mm-hmm. just to sort of get away from the city and so forth. And there's, look, Darren Mullane, myself, Graham Wright, Michael Christian, um, you know, there was a few guys, Dennis Banks, there were a few guys that were, were generally always heading out together and so forth and uh, and we utilised that as an opportunity as well, which was um, basically our routine. It was a, a routine that we had, so we continued with that and, um, yeah, it was a bit of shenanigans going on and I I um, slipped into a down a balustrade and, and hit my thigh and, and was a little bit worried the next day of how sore it was, but thankfully yeah. it came up all right. But, you know, that's a stupid, crazy thing that you don't even think about as a young kid and you know, that could have cost me a spot in the grand final. Yeah, did Lee know straight away about that? No, I don't think so. It would be an interesting question to <laughs> ask him at some stage. I, I know it's um, that story's been put out there since, but mm. uh, I don't think during they would have known, no. What was it? What was he like as a coach, Gav Lee Matthews? Oh, I was scared shitless of him. He yeah. was, um, you know, he comes straight to us from from his league career, basically. So, uh, from a player perspective, how tough and ruthless he was, mm. um, he was exactly that as a coach as well. And um, and he had that. He just had that that aura around him that uh, was just instant respect. Um, and, you know, if Lee had a said run through that wall to get the footy, you know, that's what I was doing. It didn't mm. make any difference to me. And, um, yeah, I've got so much respect for him, how he how he basically moulded um, what we had as in our experienced players, but also the young guys coming through from the 19s. They recruited really well. And there was a window there for, you know, four or five years um, that we had opportunity to play finals. And, unfortunately, it was only one premiership, but we were certainly good enough to, to maybe pinch another one there. Yeah, you kicked two goals in in that granny. I think in in the second term, um, brilliant goals, and you one of the best players on the day. Why didn't you touch the cup at the at the end of the game? I just never got never got around to it. Never got around. Uh, never never got close to me. But it was also a thing of I guess my personality of um, of yeah, just keeping it at a bit of a distance. It was it was a whole range of shock as well. Like yeah. we. we to, to win that after the build-up, I even still look back now and, and st- it's, it's quite blurry regarding the whole process. Um, so it was, uh, it was, and I don't know, that's why they, you know, he heard Jeremy Brereton talk about the first premiership, that were all blur, but being able to win the second and third and so forth is when you really enjoy it. And I think mm-hmm. um, that is the case because it wouldn't be so 
um, so numbing. Yeah. Uh, it was just a, you know, the euphoria around uh, Collingwood and been so long. It was just an amazing experience. Mm. What What were the celebrations like after that that premiership win? Yeah, we um we had a, a drink for a little while. It was a pretty solid um, period. The only thing that um, happened with us was the the Copeland Trophy because of the draw and final it was all pushed out. Yeah. Uh, was brought to the Tuesday just after the grand final, and then we we're actually leaving to. Uh, to go to the UK to play Essendon in an uh, exhibition oh, match on the yeah. Wednesday, but was all very rushed um, mm. for us. But it was certainly we had a, a good time here for a couple of days and had the Copeland Trophy and then we were, we were off. So we were sort of out of Melbourne and out of Victoria um, for a really important part of that celebration. So we didn't really see a lot of that here. Um, mm-hmm. But we obviously kicked on when we were in the UK and a few of us went to the States afterwards, which was a pretty enjoyable time as well. Mm-hmm. Hey, back in um, I think it was '95 when they started doing drug testing the AFL, but it was all used as as kind of research, wasn't it? There was no strike policy or anything like that. Do you yeah. were you still worried about getting tested and that sort of thing in in your playing career? Yeah, it was. Um, yeah, it was the fact of that um, not knowing whether it was completely private and just the fact yeah. that I knew that every time I was P tested, I would have had cannabis in my system. So. Mm-hmm. Um, that was quite nerve-wracking and, and anxiety-building, even though it didn't stop me from doing it. Yeah. Um, but it was still a quite a stressful time. But, yeah, they uh, they obviously got enough uh, positive tests over a period of time where they thought they needed to bring in the illicit drugs policy to, to help guys um, to do things differently, I guess. And I sort of look back and think if my uh, drug use and some sort of treatment or some sort of therapy around it um, happened back then things could have been different as well. I, I may not have had the, the next 15 years where I really um, plummeted into a um, depths of despair and depression and anxiety and so mm-hmm. forth from a drug use. So um, you never know. I, I think it's a, a, a really positive thing to have in place where they're there to offer the support and the medical assistance if needed um, and the discrimination against addicts being uh, criminals and shitheads and all sort of stuff. Um, I think the, the more they approach it from a from a uh, medical point of view, the, the better it is. Did Did anybody know you had a, an addiction problem during it? Because you were pretty good at hiding it, especially from your family and that sort of thing. Did anyone know how bad it was for you? Well, I didn't even know how bad it was, okay. mate. So yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, no, it was. Look, there was probably I had some outside friends from that weren't involved with footy that that knew I'd. I'd have a joint if the joint was passed around, but no one knew um, that I had a bong at home in my golf bag and that I'd, uh, at the end of the night, I'd go and uh, do that and get myself stoned so I can go to sleep and all sort of stuff. So the extent of it was certainly not known. Uh, and again, that's a, a classic trait of someone who's addicted and embarrassed and ashamed of their behaviour is to, to take it underground and not let anyone know what I'm actually doing or what they're actually doing. Um, and I did that for a long time. It was a was a tough gig keep, keeping it secret, that's for sure. Mm. You speak about, like, when you speak about your career, you, you seem a little bit, like, disappointed the way it was, but you still played really well. Like, even the 98 season, maybe that was your first, uh, your most consistent, you finished second uh, to Nathan Buckley. Do you look back at your playing career, like, in a positive light? Do you reflect on it and, and you're happy about it or, or are you kind of disappointed the way it went? No, I'm, I'm extremely proud of, yeah. of, especially from where I, I came from, as yeah. in a non-footy state in Queensland. I was one of the first Queenslanders besides, uh, you know, Jason Dunstall, obviously, is a well-known, and Scott McIver played some footy. 
So I was one of the the, the original Queenslanders before the Bears came into play. Um, and from my background and upbringing, um, to achieve what I achieved, I'm, I am I'm really proud of that. Yeah. What could have been um, a little bit different if it, you know, if I had my behaviours off the field were a bit different. But um, looking back at it, you know, I'm, I'm proud. I'm proud of what what I was able to achieve. For sure. Yeah. Do you ha- do you have a favourite year or moment in your playing career? Um, oh, look, '98 was obviously a good personal year, and, mm. and that was when the shackles were released um, from me positional wise, as in. Uh, I think it was probably '97 uh, uh, with Danny Frawley. Actually, uh, I got dropped for the first time actually because I was playing on the big forwards uh, who were just too big for me basically. But we didn't have anyone who was capable of playing fullback and centre back, so I was getting pushed around and my form dropped away. And they dropped me into the VFL team or the seconds, and I played on the wing, and, and yeah. that just suited my running and yeah, yeah. my style. So, and I had I think I had 35 touches against Eston at Windy Hill that day, and uh, so they sort of uh, it just opened it up for me, and then I got back in the senior team and played on the wing for the next four years. So it was a, um, it really suited my style. I'm a, I was a long runner. I was not obviously blessed with a lot of pace, but um, being able to cover the ground and, and grind away was was something that I was good at. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was able to you know put together some really good years and some uh, high possession games and so forth. But '95 was also a pretty good year for me. Yep. Um, I was a bit disappointed. I didn't poll a bit high with that one. Sav Rocker was uh, the, the one who got the best and fairest. So I think I come third to yeah, even yeah. Willow. So uh, I was pretty close that year, but that was a really good individual year playing at centre-half back. Um, so I was pretty proud of that year too. Mm. Do, you, do you have much memories from your, your last game? I think it was around 22, 2000 against Essendon. Um, that back, I think you originally got dropped was it from Mick Moldhouse but you worked your way back to earn your spot back so you must have been happy with that do you have much memory from that last season and even the the last game do you know what happened it was the it was the the millennial millennium game um that took us into 2000 against um against Carlton mm-hmm. and Presty and a few of the young boys were coming in um, and that's when Brendan Favola was a gun. Yeah. And Mick actually put me on him in the second half, and I he only kicked. I think he kicked nine for the day, the night, but he only kicked two on me in the second half or something. So yeah, yeah. that sort of um, gave Mick a, an idea that I was still capable. Yeah, yeah. But I had a plantar fascia issue, so my I had a really dodgy foot there for the for my last year. So I just really struggled with the tempo and yeah. the ability to keep up. Um, so the the games I played that year. Um, were pretty much gimmies um, for me to sort of play a few games and so forth. Um, they weren't really deserved. You know, I could get 30 touches in the seconds, but um, to go up to that next level in AFL game was a little bit too hard for me, just basically because of my limitations with my foot. So hmm. uh, it was disappointing to, to finish that way, but, you know, Mick gave me a few games near the end of the year and I uh, was managed to get carried off, which was nice. Mm. You went straight into coaching as well. Obviously, a great football brain. A lot of people have said that. We always had the idea of getting straight into coaching after your playing career finished. Yeah, it was always an ambition for sure. Yeah. Um, and it was, I think, um, with Collingwood, Gavin Brown uh, was given a role at the Pies. So I had to sort of venture out and, and find a club. So Dennis Payton gave me a, an opportunity to Kangaroos. So, uh, yeah, that was definitely something I really enjoyed was the was the coaching component. But again, that was a that was in a period of my life where my amphetamines and my addiction went to a, a completely new level, um, and that's when my mental health and depression and 
and anxiety really kicked in without me really knowing what was going on for me. Um, but yeah, it was a uh, the coaching component was uh, really enjoyable. Yeah. So during during that time, you were you were using a lot. I think you said at one stage you were you know spending on nearly two hundred bucks a day um, on on speed, and you were even using like at half time and that sort of thing yeah. at game day. How do how do you hide that sort of thing? It's pretty embarrassing admitting that, um, but it's I, I, it was very easy. I just go to the toilet quickly and and have a line, and you wouldn't even know. It'd take me ten seconds. So, um, but again, that was just me trying to survive and to get through. Yeah. Um, and quite embarrassing when you when you hear that out loud. Yeah, well, I I think it's it, not embarrassing. It, it's it's kind of I I admire you for being open and honest with it because even you said after your career when you when you got help it was like you didn't think that other people were like you or have been in the same situation as yeah. you. So it's kind of it's inspiring the people that have been through that and know they can come out the other end and um and turn their life around. Look at what it was when I went into treatment. It was and I didn't go in. Uh, it wasn't my idea to go and do something about it. it. Was basically forced upon me. But I'm glad that happened because it it just opened it all up for me to see that there's so many people out there that are, that were suffering like I was suffering, and and so many are in silence. So many uh, are hiding their their drug use or their drinking. Um, so to be able to, I guess, utilize my profile to whatever level I could was really important as well. And, you know, I remember going to AA meetings and people, you know, random people coming up to me and saying, you know, I saw the um, the video footage of you and Eddie McGuire interview and uh, I thought of myself straight away, that's exactly what I do. So I went yeah. and got help about it. So, um, you know, the more we can sort of talk about, um, I guess, addiction as a whole and, and take the, um, the stigma away from it, uh, the more people will be able to get well because it's a really, um, it's really common. Yep. And it's a really de- debilitating um, issue when you've got it because it just and it doesn't just affect me; it affects uh, our families and we we wrap up our the people that are close to us in a in a in a web of just absolute crap mm-hmm. um, and make it really difficult for everyone around us. Yeah, when when you did do that interview with Eddie, there must have been a huge relief to get off your chest. But was there there was a heap of support? Was there any negativity that came from that? Did you ever get any any uh, backlash at all? Oh, not really. It was just a bit of hoo ha every now and again. You okay. you'd read some stuff, but um, yeah, basically most people were really supportive. I know mm. some of the guys were spoken to afterwards, and and whether they knew about it and so forth. So. But none of them, none of them did. So it was a, a bit of a non-event. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was a that was a pretty difficult thing coming out uh, with Eddie and basically uh, being quite raw and uh, vulnerable and and open with such a, a messy sort of story. So and it wasn't a sympathy thing too. I think some mm-hmm. of the comments that I heard were, um, you know, why would you feel sorry for him? And it's not about feeling sorry for. It's about actually like, this is actually what happened, and yeah. uh, it doesn't ha- it doesn't have to happen to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Could, could you tell me about the when you did actually go to rehab? So it was your was it your wife Nicole who who came and and picked you up and said, you know, we're going to go see the kids at school or yeah. something like that, and then drove you straight to the rehab place and and said, this is this is what you've got to do. Yeah, thankfully she did a bit of research and and worked it out with them and um, hijacked me a little bit and and drove me to uh, the first service that I that I went into and. And I still had to stay. I could have walked out and left, but I mm. was in. A, I was at the stage where I I didn't want to live, 
Um, but I didn't want to die either. I just wanted, needed to know how to live differently. Yeah. Um, and then as soon as I went in there was, you know, the first week was a bit messy and a bit hard. But then once I sort of started hearing people, um, hearing their stories and where they've come from and what they were doing, it just uh, that ability to be able to relate to others um, really assisted my early recovery. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I just thought I just want to get stuck into this and, and get myself better. But it's look, it's while it's been fantastic and awesome, and the last ten years, you know, I've changed every year. Um, it was still a pretty difficult uh, situation at the start. Yeah, definitely. Can you take me just quickly inside? Like, what actually happens when you arrive there? What, what sort of system is it that you have to go through? Oh, look, you generally start with some sort of assessment. So you're telling someone you don't know about all the drugs you've used, when you've yeah. used it, what you've done, all these behavioural things that you're already embarrassed and ashamed about. And look, the, a big thing is about um, do a lot of group process processes um, and you know, the perception of how I see myself can be really different than others. So it's a, you know, you get called on a lot of stuff from your peers and, um, you know, that therapy component just begins of, you know, it's just change. It's just different. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's different thinking and, and different attitudes around a whole range of different things. Yeah. Did, did the AFL or AFLPA help you in terms of you know, getting back on your feet and then starting up your own rehab clinic? Were they helpful at all? Um, look, I think they helped initially with funding. Um, yeah. I know I spoke to the um, our Collingwood past players president and he assisted with some of the funding for the second component of my rehab. So I did four months. Um so they certainly helped there because I wasn't able to do that, which was a you know really grateful that they um, were able to do that. Um, so that was a you know really positive thing. Um, but yeah, it was a you know four months away from the family and you know stepping back into the family intermittently and mm. you know once a week and starting to get used to that comp- that part of my life again was um, was an interesting uh, way as well. Yeah. Well, what's the advice out there um, for the people? Maybe you've got a mate who who might be in a similar situation or themselves. They want to have the courage to go and do it if they want to get in touch with you or um, or anyone really and turn their life around. What is the advice uh, for those people? Look, if you're a family member, don't, don't watch something happen for too long. When you think something's going on or you've got an assumption that something's going on, generally go with your gut because there will be. Um, and if you have a family member who's struggling with addiction, the first component they're going to throw at you is their denial. Mm-hmm. So they will deny d- deny everything and they'll minimise everything as well. So, and that's where it gets really tricky for family members. So we're certainly happy to take phone calls from family members to help direct them and uh, I guess coach them on how to communicate and speak to their loved one. Um, because you've got to stay, you've got to stay on it. There's a window of opportunity for for addicts to get well, and if you miss that window, it could be another six months before they're ready to do anything about it again. Um, and I guess if you've got a problem yourself and you're and you're not quite sure if you're if you're addicted to it or not addicted, uh, again, reach out, um, call a specialist. You can call us, as I've said. Um, services are out there where you can just get their thoughts and their opinions on things, but then you need to do the legwork. You're the one who has to come in. You're the one who has to do the work about uh, regarding it. Um, but I'm telling you, if you had told me 10 years ago that I'd have what I have now in terms of family and, mm. and job and business and all sort of stuff, I would have laughed at you. You know, I've, you know, I set some goals probably two or three years into my sobriety, you know, the three to five year plan and, and the things that we had uh, planned to achieve within five years, we, we'd already achieved in three and mm. like, things just open up. 
yeah. you know, the way I live now is completely different than, than where I was. And I'm really grateful that I was given the opportunity to get well. And, and that's what we do now with Sober Living. It's, you know, opening the doors to people to give them an opportunity to change um, and live their life differently. Mm, no, that's so good. It's so good to hear. Speaking of goals, do you do you have what's the future hold for uh, for Gavin Krasiska? What's what's next on the agenda? Um, well, look, I've actually uh, in a position now where I've stepped out of sober living a couple of days a week, and I'm now working for our past players, the oh, yeah. past players, where yep. where um, we've been wanting to take that to a different level. I've, I joined um, joined up there on the I think it was 2019, so it's been difficult with COVID, but mm-hmm. uh, just supporting our guys with uh, AFL AFLPA funding, uh, any sort of mental health or wellbeing things they need, and we want to take it to another level where. We get amongst the younger guys that are currently playing there, um, and be able to actually offer them uh, networking and, and uh, job opportunities, business opportunities, education, and a whole range of different things. So I'm at the club a couple of days a week as we speak. So that's oh, really enjoyable. So I'm hoping that extends um, into a bigger platform, and I'm, and I'm sure it will. We've got uh, lots of positive feedback around it, and. I guess from a, from being Collingwood, you know, we are the biggest and greatest club in the land. So we want to be able to do th- something different and something really holistic for our past players. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's great. Yeah, no, that's good to hear. But do you, do you watch a lot of footy these days? Do you have a, do you have a tip for the flag, Gav? Not really a tip for the flag, but I, you know, I watch the pies when I can. Um, yeah. Look, I think it's all kicking over as in uh, seems very right for Melbourne. Mm. Um, I sort of hope they hope Melbourne win simply for Neil Danaher, yeah. uh, so we can see a premiership. And in a long time, you know, our drought was 32 years. I think they said it was 57 for Melbourne, yeah. so yeah. that's a long time. But it also goes to show be patient with your coach because uh, Goodwin was out of there two years ago. I think he was going to be sacked. So um, yeah, hopefully they get over the line. Yeah, that's true. Do you have any words on uh, Craig McRae? You're pretty happy with the uh, with the appointment. I'd, I'd say. I don't know the fly, but he's, he yeah. was coached by our uh, our premiership coach Lee Matthews. So yeah, um, you know I've heard you know good things about him. I'll I'll get to meet him at some stage because we want what I'm doing with our past players to link in with the current players. So yeah. hopefully he'll be really supportive of that. Um, but yeah, look, the, I, I I wasn't overly happy when they they moved Bucks on mm. or they shoved him out. I, I thought that was a, a wrong move, but um, since then I've of um, found out, you know, it was a lot of bucks and with his boys and and being with his family and so forth. So yeah, for him to have that break, that's fine. So uh, I'm happy for the, I guess the deck chairs to shuffle around uh, and to to really reinvigorate the whole place and and get some freshness around there. So I'm looking forward to next year. Yeah, brilliant. No, me too. Hey, yeah, with all my guests, uh, I like to end with ten quick questions. So you're happy to go through them with me? Okay. Let's all, right. Do it. all right, and it's uh, 10 quick questions thanks to Simmons Homes and the Simmons Finals uh, Footy Festival on the Footy Live app, so make sure you download that. All right, first one, Gav, it's on the home theme. So if you could build a brand new home anywhere in, in Australia, where would it be? Uh, Port Douglas. Port Douglas, very nice, good. Uh, if you could add anything to your current home, what would it be? Solar heating. Solar heating, nice. Uh, what's your favourite food? Um, favourite food? Oh, I, I just like a nice eye fillet, actually, to be honest. I fillet. Brilliant. Uh, your favourite movie? Um, oh, now you're testing me. I'm going to say the Rocky series. Yeah, Rocky series. That's a good one. They're mine too. Is, which one's the best? The first one? 
Uh, no, I like the second one. You like the second one, good. Uh, who was your favourite teammate of all time? Oh, favourite teammate? Well, there was several. Uh, like Dakes was always good fun on and off the field. Yeah. Uh, Darren Mullane, Graham Wright, uh, Craig Kelly, Michael Christian. Yeah. Yeah, nice. A few of them. Uh, your favourite coach of all time? Uh, Lee Matthews. I have to be Lee Matthews, of course. Uh, what is your favourite holiday destination? Uh, Port Douglas, because that's the most recent one. Otherwise, overseas. Yeah, geez. Let's hope we can get overseas soon. I'm missing mm. it. Uh, who is your idol? Idol. Well, when I was young, it was a, it was a Malcolm Blight mm. type. Um, I often live with Malcolm. Malcolm Blight, I'm, good. Wouldn't say that I've got anyone like that. Yeah, not anymore. That's all right. Well, no, someone could... who someone who's twenty years sober. Yes, that's a good one. I like that. Uh, if you could have dinner with any celebrity in the world, who would it be? Demi Moore. Demi Moore, <laughs> good. <laughs> Last one. What is your favourite song of all time, Gav? Favourite song. Uh, Collingwood theme song. <laughs> of course it is. Brilliant. Hey, Gav, it's been an absolute pleasure to chat to you, mate. I think um, vulnerability and sharing stories is very inspirational and the way you educate others, uh, I really, really admire that and I admire what you're doing. You're a great man. I appreciate your time. Thank you, Gav. Thanks, James. No worries. A clash of body. The ball breaks free. It's all Collingwood. Francisca hits towards the Okay.